0: We're in a series called You Make Me Crazy. We're talking about getting relationally fit. Uh, you know, there can be different degrees of crazy makers that come into your life, and there can be different levels of chaos that they bring into your life. Uh, you know, sometimes crazy makers can just be irritating, kind of a nuisance, something that we have to live with or put up with in our lives. Sometimes crazy makers can blow up our lives uh, with big, devastating conflict and consequences. And so today I want to talk to you about how to survive the difficult days, how to survive the devastation that crazy makers can bring into your life, things that go beyond irritating to being really destructive. How do I find the strength to walk through the devastations in life? It's a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you've got your phone, you can turn there. The verses will be on the screen. They're on your outline that we've given you. The setting of this story is a season of war between the Amalekites and the Israelites. Now, the Amalekites raided the city of Ziklag and burned it to the ground. And they carried off all the women and children. And this was devastating because Ziklag was kind of the hometown, it was the home base for David and his men. So this was a devastating personal attack. It was a terrorist attack and a kidnapping that happened. And in this passage of Scripture, we find five things we can do when tragedy strikes and we're hurting. First thing you do is you weep. You weep. most appropriate thing to do is to cry. Uh, 1 Samuel 30, 3-4 says, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it was destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They just cried it out. You know, some of us have been doing a lot of weeping this week. Weeping for family and friends affected by the tornado in Oklahoma. Weeping for strangers, people we don't even know. You know, even beyond the tornado, there's just been an extremely tough week for many of us in in our, our church family. Incident upon incident has just piled up this week. Many of you have had accidents and troubles and sickness and death and, and more. It, it's just been a tough week around here. Weeping for our church family, weeping for the wounds that, that we may have in our own lives. And sometimes you can wonder, is that the right response? Is, is, is it really how I should, should react when I'd call your attention to what I think is one of the most profound verses in the Bible? It's John eleven thirty five, 35. And it says simply, Jesus wept. Jesus cried, Jesus shed tears. You know, if Jesus, if God in human flesh can weep over the hurt of mankind, I think it's okay for us to weep as well. You know, weeping and crying can be the step that so-called mature Christians want to step over. You know, "Ah, I'm above all that now, or "Ah, I don't need to do that. Really, I'm fine. But Jesus in his humanity wept, and in doing so, he showed us exactly what we should do. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And and we've got a big church family. Every week there are a lot of people to rejoice. There's a lot of happy stuff happens around here. And every week there is a lot of people to weep with. Another verse in the Bible, Hebrews 5, 7, says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth. In other words, this isn't just a one-time occurrence for Christ. During the days of Jesus' life on earth. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus grew up in a culture that was unafraid to show emotion. You know, in that culture, when they cried, it wasn't just a little tear that would trickle down their their eye. It was loud wails. And, And men in that culture would literally tear their garments and throw ashes and dust on their head to demonstrate their grief. We can learn something from Jesus' emotions. You know, I'm part of a group that has a hard time showing uh, emotion. Uh, it's a group that's called Men. <laughs> uh, listen to what Walter Hansen has to say about Jesus and his emotions. It says, I'm spellbound by the intensity of Jesus' emotions, not a twinge of pity but heartbroken compassion, not a passing irritation but terrifying anger. Not a silent tear, but groans of anguish. Not a weak smile, but ecstatic celebration. Jesus' emotions are like a mountain river cascading with clear water. My emotions are more like a muddy foam or a feeble trickle. Jesus invites us to come to him and drink. Whoever is thirsty and believes in him will have a river of the water of life flowing from his inmost being. We're not to be merely spellbound by what we see in the emotions of Jesus. We are to be unbound by his spirit so that his life becomes our life, his emotions become our emotions. We are to be transformed into his likeness. You know, the example, as you and I look at the life of Jesus, is clear. Jesus didn't deny his emotions. Now, Jesus did deny himself by not letting his emotions control his life. Okay? You've got to be careful there. But he didn't deny his emotions, he expressed them. He let them out. Because if you deny and bury emotions, they will begin to control your life. And so Christ shows us how to let them out. Now now you may think, well, can you go too far with that? Is it possible to show too much emotion? And the truth is, yes, you can. But most of us are nowhere near. We're at the other end of the spectrum from that. And so we need to understand when those devastating things come into your life that you can talk to God with emotion. You can cry. You can weep. You can express your sorrow. Second thing you do is you don't get bitter. 1 Samuel 36 says David was distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. You know, I'd be distressed too if people were talking about stoning me. It says each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. You know, the easiest thing in the world is to become bitter and start blaming others. You know, if something goes wrong in our life. There's always someone to blame. And the men here are growing bitter, and they started to blame David. But David didn't burn their houses. David didn't carry off their wives and sons and daughters. They're just looking for someone to blame in their bitterness. And the problem with blame is, is that's where it ends up in bitterness, and it winds up ruining our lives. And so, when devastation hits, one of the things we have to do right away. we have to make the decision I am not going to become bitter about this I'm not going to start blaming other people because when you start blaming other people one of the people you can blame is God you know we begin to wonder why did God let this happen you know why, why did God make tornadoes why did God let a tornado come down out of the sky and sweep away a city and start to blame him truth is I don't know why this stuff happens I don't know why one young child dies and one young child lives. I I don't know why somebody who seems so deserving will die and somebody who seems undeserving will live. I don't know why one person gets cancer and one person doesn't. I don't know why one person gets healed of cancer and one person doesn't. Maybe maybe when we get to heaven, God will answer all those why questions. Maybe when we get to heaven, they won't even matter. But right now, I'll be honest, I don't know why. But I do know that God can handle my questions. I do know that God will be with me through every circumstance of life. I do know I've got a church family who loves me and will be with me and will pray for me. I do know that God's word can give me encouragement and strength and hope, and that's what I hang on to. And so when I've been hurt, it can so easily turn into unforgiveness towards someone because they were involved in the hurt. Maybe they caused the hurt. And unforgiveness becomes the easiest road to go down because they were wrong and because my hurt is real. But if you let unforgiveness grow in your life, bitterness will grow right alongside of it and bitterness will harden your heart. And there will be an anger that percolates underneath the surface or there will be an apathy and a cynicism that will set in about life. You know, Bitterness often shows up with just a I don't care attitude about life. You ever see somebody who just doesn't seem to care about life? That's bitterness taking root from a wound that they have in their life that they've never dealt with. But forgiveness, understand, forgiveness does not mean that what they did was right. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. No, it matters. It hurt. Forgiveness is simply saying, I'm going to let God settle the score. I'm going to let God be the one who judges on this. I'm not going to keep judging them in my heart because that's going to build a bitterness in my life. So I'm going to let God judge that offense in the way that only he can. And so I let it go. What do you do when everything falls apart in life? Well, first you weep, and then you choose not to get bitter. Third thing David teaches us to do. You encourage yourself in God. 1 Samuel 36 says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He made the decision to look away from the discouraging circumstances and look to the Lord who would encourage him. He didn't encourage himself in the circumstances. The circumstances were bad. And no, he looked to the Lord his God, and that's where he found his encouragement. How do you do that? Well, you need to make two choices. And, And fortunately, you've made one of the choices already. You've made the decision to be with God's people. That's one of the choices that you need to make. You need to choose to get around people who are looking for encouragement from God. Hebrews 3:13, encourage each other day after day as long as it's still called today lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know when bitterness and blame begins to set into your life, that's sin. That's sin. And the encouragement of others keeps my heart from being hardened. Encouragement keeps sin from deceiving me. Encouragement keeps me from going down the wrong path. That's the power of the choice that comes when we decide we're going to be together as God's family. Now, I understand everybody you meet, not even every follower of Jesus, is going to be a perfect encourager uh, every time you meet them. I mean, sometimes they're going to be more discouraged than you are. Sometimes you're going to reach out to somebody and find out that, you know, they're sinking farther than you are. Well, what do you do when that happens? Well, then together you go and look for encouragement. You know, together you look, well, who's somebody who's smiling? And you find somebody that can be an encouragement to you. So you get together with God's people. Uh, David encouraged himself in the Lord, he got around God's people, and then he got a word from God. He went to the priest and got a word from God. He said, what does God have to say about this? What, what is God's direction on this? You look in God's word for direction. And what is God's direction when everything has fallen apart? Well, God's direction is toward hope. God directs us toward hope. The hope I can find in Him, the hope I can find in others, the hope I can find in eternity. See that all through Scripture. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me. And God is with you. That's the hope that we hang on to. Isaiah 40, Even young people grow weary and tired, but those who hope in the Lord... They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be faint. That's the power of hope in your life. You get new strength, even in those devastating moments. You look to God's Word for the direction of hope. You know, when I think of hope in the midst of devastation, I think of the night before Jesus died, and and He's sitting there in the upper room with His disciples. And he begins to tell them what's going to happen. He tells them he's going to be betrayed, tells them he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified. And they are just stunned. They are devastated. They don't understand. They're confused. And in that moment, Jesus Christ looks them in the eye and talks about hope. He talks about hope. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to be with me where I am. And Jesus said, You know the way where I'm going. And Thomas was honest enough. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way you're going. How do we know the way? so glad he asked that. Because then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where do you find hope in those devastating days? You find hope in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll encounter a family and and they're followers of Christ and they're facing a crisis. And, And I look at that situation and I think, yes, they have hurt, but they also have hope. Yes, they have grief, but they also have comfort. And then I think, what do you do in those situations when you don't have Christ? What what do you do when when you can't find the strength of Christ? I mean, He's the one that you turn to. And so I'd encourage you to turn to Him now. In the midst of your hurt, turn to Jesus Christ for hope. Turn to Him for the hope of eternal life. You know, often when we talk about death, it's it's disturbing to people because we don't like to think about it, which is really kind of odd because all of us are going to face it. You know, someday we're all going to die, but most people spend far more time and energy preparing for their retirement, which is going to last just for a few years, than they do preparing for their death, which is going to last for an eternity. It Does't make any sense when you think about it. So how do you prepare for your death? You place your hope in Jesus Christ. You know, he, he will give you the gift of eternal life if you place your hope in him. You don't have to earn it, can't buy it, you don't deserve it. It's just a gift that he gives you when you place your hope and trust in him. Fourth thing Jesus, or David, teaches us to do. First you weep, then down the road eventually you get to a point where you begin to look to the future. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, these verses were given to Jeremiah in one of the darkest seasons in the history of the nation of Israel. God spoke into that devastation and said, I I have plans for you. I have a hope and a future for you. Same was true for David in in his devastating situation. You know, they they began to think, okay, what do we do next? What happened? Where did our families go? What do we do next? Where do we go next? How do we take care of this? They began to look to the future and they didn't just stay there in the ruins of the past. There came a moment when they began to move forward. You know, how do you look to the future in the midst of tough times? Well, you've got to find a way to live above and beyond your circumstances. You know, you can't live just in the ups and downs of circumstances. You know, the truth is, at any point in time in in my life and in your life, there are two types of circumstances going on. Any point in time, there's good circumstances and there's bad circumstances. And, And I don't know how it seems to you, but to me, the good circumstances don't seem to last long enough. And the bad circumstances, they just seem to stick around forever. You know, so if I put my hope in the circumstances, it's not going to be enough. Because the good ones don't last and the bad ones just keep coming. So I've got to find something above the circumstances. I've got to find something outside the circumstances that I can trust in. What's outside of the circumstances? Well, outside of the circumstances is the fact that Jesus Christ broke into history to give me a future. Jesus Christ broke into history to give you a future. And because of the cross, you don't have to live as a victim of your circumstances. You can live looking to the future. Fifth thing we learn is you attack evil. 1 Samuel 30, 17, David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day. He went out and attacked uh, the ones who'd taken their families. He attacked evil. Number one principle for defeating evil in our lives is to attack evil. Now, it's often not what we feel like doing. When when evil comes in, uh, you know, we often want to retreat. We we want to say, is there some place I can run to where evil will never touch me or my family again? But there is no such place in this world. There isn't. And I can try to run from evil and I can try to hide from it. But hiding out is not what the Bible teaches us to do. Hiding out is not where the victory is found. Hiding out is not where the hope is found. Hiding out is not where the strength is found. The victory, the strength, and the hope are found by moving against the evil. Now, one of the ways evil shows up in our lives is it shows up uh, on the inside of us in, in what I call inner accusations. You know, those are those voices that we just hear speaking in... You guys hear voices, don't you? Those voices that we hear speaking into our life, just the negative ones that put you down. Oh, you can't be a person of God. You're not worthy of this. You don't have that kind of faith. You don't have that kind of trust. You can't break free from your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You can't overcome your sin. You're not worthy. You're weak. You know, one of Satan's names in the Bible is he's called the accuser. And Jesus wants us to overcome the accuser and his false accusations. You know, Satan says you're weak, wounded, and worthless. Jesus Christ says just the opposite. You know, you don't have to be weak. You can have Christ's strength. You, You don't have to live wounded. Christ can heal you. You're not worthless. Jesus Christ died for you. It says just the opposite. But you have to attack the evil that comes into our minds. Instead of arguing with yourself about those inner thoughts, here's how you fight the battle of inner accusation. You just close your eyes and you picture Jesus Christ on the cross. You picture Christ and what he did for you on the cross. You don't argue on the basis of your worth or who you are. You argue on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And that settles that argument. Because the cross of Christ is a place where evil was defeated. You know, often we think of the cross as where Christ was defeated, and we think of the resurrection as the place of victory. But the Bible tells us that the resurrection was proof that the victory was won on the cross. You look to the cross as the place of victory over evil. It's at the cross where Satan lost and Jesus won. Colossians 2.15, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. You know, you hear those accusations? God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. So you face those inner thoughts of inadequacy before God, just close your mind, picture the cross of Christ because that's where God openly displayed his love for you. He openly triumphed over those false accusations. That's the way you attack the inner evil. Now, how do you attack the outer evil? The circumstances, the confrontations, the conflict, the criticisms, the the times when life just falls apart. When that happens, you begin to picture yourself as someone who has been rescued by Christ. You picture the rescue of Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, you can live the rest of your life in fear of what might happen to you or you can live the rest of your life knowing that you're rescued by Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.4, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. You know, these verses don't pull any punches about the evil world that we live in. It says every evil attack, this present evil age. The truth is we're faced with evil all around us every day. That's just the truth of it. But the Bible also talks about the greatest rescue operation ever completed. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth to throw you a lifeline. And you need to grab onto that lifeline for all you're worth. Another way to... attack evil is found in Romans twelve twenty one. It says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's how important your focus is. You know, is my focus going to be on evil or is my focus going to be on good? Because you will never defeat evil by looking on evil. You will never defeat lust by, by focusing on lust. You'll never defeat hatred by focusing on hatred. You defeat evil by focusing on what's good. You defeat lust by focusing on love. You defeat bitterness by deciding to forgive. You defeat uh, hatred by uh, serving and giving to others. You defeat evil by doing what's good. And when you do that, there's a victory that comes in the midst of the circumstance. It doesn't take away the hurt of the circumstance, but it gives you victory over the circumstances. Romans 8.37, We become, through all these things, triumphantly victorious by the power of Him who loved us. Circle that phrase, triumphantly victorious. You know, one of the most powerful ways you defeat evil is by focusing on the fact that Christ loves you. And evil is real. It impacts our lives every day. But God's goodness is also real, and it impacts our lives every day. And so the question is, which one am I going to focus on? Life is hard, God is good. Which one do I focus on? You can start doing that right now. You start with one thing, one specific thought, one person, one relationship, one incident, one crazy maker. And you can attack evil by deciding to focus on the goodness of God. You know, one specific habit. You know, maybe you've got a bad habit. Maybe you've got an evil habit in your life. A habit that's been tearing you down. It's been tearing down the other people in your life. How do you turn from a bad habit and begin one specific good habit? Well, you just, uh, you know, you stop fighting the bad habit and you start feeding the good one. You know, maybe it means going to Celebrate Recovery on Wednesday nights. Every Wednesday night, 6 30, we've got Celebrate Recovery here. Maybe that's a new good habit that you need to start. Maybe it means I pick up God's Word and, and every day I read three or five or eight verses. I just feed my soul every day from God's Word. Maybe it means I pick up the phone. I call a Christian friend and just say, you know, I want to encourage you in your life and I need you to encourage me in mine and so let's just establish some, we can be encouragement partners with one another. And you just make that habit of calling them every day. You know, that habit to call a friend, that habit of picking up God's word, that habit of going to celebrate recovery, that can change the direction of your life. One good habit can change the direction of your life. You know, maybe in one specific problem uh, this, this week, you need to think, how can I begin to rejoice even in this problem? How can I focus on the good that God is bringing into my life as a result of this problem? I mean, they meant it for evil, but God can mean it for good. doesn't mean it wasn't evil, it just means God is greater than the evil. And God can work through those problems in our life to make us a person of character, a person of faith, to increase our patience, to build in hope, to make us better than the evil that we've encountered. Yeah, the problem's bad. The problem may be evil. The Bible's clear. Evil exists, and it's real. But God is greater than those problems. And so I've got to choose. Which one am I going to look at? Life is hard. God is good. What's going to be my focus? And then you need to remember that God will never give up on you. God's love, God's grace, God's strength, God's hope. He never gives up. I I love these verses at the end of Romans 8. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. No tornado, no earthquake. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the hope we hang on to. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you today. We pray for your hope and your strength and your goodness to be revealed in our lives. God, we we pray with confidence because you have promised. You have promised to deliver. We have seen at the cross that you love us. See it in our daily lives. So God, help us to lean on it. then I'd invite you just to pray quietly in your own heart and mind to just say, Father, when when the tough times hit, I want to be the kind of person who comes to you and shares my hurt with you just like Jesus did. I want to be the kind of person who doesn't grow bitter and and blame others. I want to avoid unforgiveness. Instead, I want to look to you. I want to be the kind of person who's encouraged in you and through your people and through your word. I want to be the kind of person who can begin to look to the future, the future, the hope, the plan that you have for me. And God, I want to be the kind of person who attacks evil because you're greater than any evil that will come into my life. And so I, I don't have the strength to do it. I pray for your strength to do it. God, help me to overcome evil with good. We thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.